Who am I? Why am I here? Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I shall not seek and I will not accept the nomination of my party for another term as your president. Tear down this wall. And the wall just got 10 feet taller. We're going to California and Texas and New York. We're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. It's beginning to look a lot like election shock therapy. Hey, guys, how's it going? That's the most you're ever going to hear me sing. I'm Chris Moore, and joining me in this All Bethel, All the Time podcast are... Andy Bramson. And Matt Kukum. I was was thinking, like, jumping in on a, you know, doing a little harmony here, but you cut it off. So, So, real talk, I, well, I talk for a living, and yet I am absolutely (laughs) ashamed of my singing voice, and only sing under very limited circumstances, or frankly, duress. So that's about <laughs> as much as you're going to hear me sing. <laughs> but it feels like it, it feels like the right season, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. The cookie, the cookie tent is under construction. Uh, <laughs> the 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 campus is bedecked with uh, with greenery. It looks pretty. We just we had we have snow. We actually have snow in Minnesota. It was a long time coming this year, but we have snow. It's cold, very cold now. All of a sudden, and uh, it's it's time. I've, I have you do, now. Do you guys have a philosophy on um, holiday decorations? Do you, do you dec- do you decorate the inside of your house? Yes. Yes. Philosophy okay. might be. Too strong a term. Oh, okay. Policy. Um, the oh. policy is anytime after Thanksgiving for yeah. all decor. Yep. Um, we don't really do much outside. It's just inside. Would you do um, something outside? Would, would, you, would you cross that line? Oh, not before Thanksgiving. No. Yeah, um, but would you like given given? The, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, grew, growing up, my family we we decorated outside. Okay, um, sure. All right. But so, but it has to be post Thanksgiving. So yep. agree with that. Weekend after Thanksgiving or the following weekend, right? Yep. And then yep. we take it down. We we observe the twelve days of Christmas and then a pivot. So you go for a pivot. Then it come, right, and then it goes comes down after that. So yeah, I, I think that makes perfect sense. Uh, through King's Day and then after that, yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I'd like to see some 538 work on this. I'd like to see them track like a, a national representative sample of when your Christmas decorations went up and when they came down. And I'd like to see it disaggregated by geography. I would like to see some work done on the different choices of Christmas, outdoor Christmas decor. Oh, Cor- correlated on. with geography, socioeconomic status and education. I think that'd be fascinating. How about right? you, how about partisanship? Is there a partisan difference in holiday decorations? I, uh, yeah, or ideology. Yeah, it'd be really interesting because uh, you get the whole variation. I mean, some people are like super classy, you know, just lots of lights. It's it's very well done, right? Um, and then some people are like, let's see how many inflatables we can put in our backyard or front mm, yard. Excuse mm. me. We have this one person in the neighborhood um, who, no kidding, has a Rudolph the Red Nose Reindeer that is twenty feet high a 20 foot high inflatable it dwarfs the front of the house it's obnoxious now now we've had some high wind advisories here in the twin cities that have put our wind chills well below zero i'd be afraid that a 20 foot rudolph would just take out a car 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, just see the Rudolph will like go tumbling head over heels, you know, like down the mm-hmm. street. Yep. You know, yep. the size of you know a truck, right? Yeah. Yep. Anyway. It's like a like a runaway float at the Macy's Thanksgiving parade. <laughs> Basically, yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. Anyway. Well, if we haven't, as political scientists, ruined the holidays for you already, pour yourself a little cup of eggnog, and we're going to give you our holiday gift buying guide. So everybody these days, every uh, website, wire cutter, um, consumer reports, everybody's got a holiday gift guide. And we thought, you know what? Election shock therapy could give you that too. So in our own sort of sense of, of, of personality and style, we've all brought just a couple of items that we're going to recommend you either give or receive this, uh, this, this holiday season. And in the, we'll, we'll, we'll tell you what they are, and we'll give you a little justification for why you either need or someone in your life needs this item. So I'm going to start and because uh, as my prerogative, and then I'll throw over to Dr. Kukum and then uh, Dr. Bramson. We'll just kind of go round robin style until we run out of good ideas, which is probably <laughs> right now. But nevertheless, I'm going to recommend to start with that either you give or receive somebody in your life a book by Chuck Klosterman titled, But What If We're Wrong? Ooh. Now, Klosterman is an essayist. Mm-hmm. He's a Midwesterner. He is uh, uh, right. He started got it, started starting his career writing essays about uh, rock and roll and heavy metal, uh, but he his his oeuvre is sort of wide ranging now, and he's one of these sort of ask a hypothetical, spin it out into a twenty five page essay kind of guys. But his book, but what if we're wrong, is a really fascinating investigation of trying to understand why we, how we might think about the era we're in uh, deep into the future how people will think about this time period. And, and sort of here's the setup for the book, basically. Um, there was a time in American history where marches, like John Philip Sousa marches, were the dominant form of music. It was something everybody listened to. When people bought sheet music, that's the kind of sheet music they bought. People knew hundreds of marches. And now we basically know two. Mm-hmm. How, what two rock songs will people know 100 years from now? Um, and then uh, he spins this off into other ways of thinking about what we kind of think of as commonly conventionally accepted wisdom. But then the point of this, the reason why I want people to read this is because it gets you in the mindset of questioning your underlying assumptions, Hmm. questioning your underlying beliefs and being humble about things you're quite sure of. And I think all of us could use with a little bit more intellectual humility these days. True. That's my first pick. Agreed. Right. Nice. Sounds good. Dr. Cookham, how about you? Um, I um, would give a subscription to your local newspaper, mm. or whatever city you live in. Um, uh, I've probably gotten on this on this you know hobby horse before, um, but you know, supporting uh, your local newspaper is is important. Um, because local newspapers have actually been sort of, they're, they're a dying endangered species, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of uh, local papers, at least in you know, the, sort of the mid-sized to smaller sized cities, they've either mm-hmm. shuttered completely or they've been gobbled up um, by these you know, massive uh, conglomerates, these news corporations um, who basically own them and they actually are able to employ only a couple, you know, handful of reporters um, who really don't do anything more than just collate news and press releases, right? So they're not really doing any important sort of investigative work, for example. 
And um, and let's just face it, you know, most of the things that we we you know most of the policies that affect us in our everyday lives are local policies and state level policies as well. Um, but it's really hard to get good information on what's going on in your state um, and especially what's going on in your city or your county, except for these these local papers. Um, they they are on the front lines of sort of a healthy you know well functioning. Uh, democracy, right, in an in a educated, knowledgeable citizenry. And so um, there's no substitute for reading your local newspaper and then and then getting a subscription to one. Um, and, and even if it costs some money, you know, do it. Uh, it it's, it's worth it. Um, even if the, the subscription rate goes up, do it. It's worth it. So, uh, so my recommendation is to give give a subscription to uh, to a local newspaper. I love that recommendation. Matt, if there's a way that people want to look into what are the best local papers to support, is there a clearinghouse kind of place to do that? Should people email us? What is what is your recommendation? I mean, I don't know if there is a clearinghouse, and it really turns out most cities at this point only have you know one yeah. one paper, right? I mean, in big metropolitan areas, there can be. There can be a few papers, right, um, that are, you know, I mean, we have the Pioneer Press out of St. Paul. and We have the Minneapolis Star Tribune, right? Um, my wife and I, we subscribe to the Star Tribune. It's just a better paper um, on, on all levels. Um, and they're covering pretty much the same stuff. So yeah. so you really don't have a choice in most cases. Um, so basically yeah. pick the one that's that's closest to you and subscribe to it. So, right. Right. Professor Bramson, can you follow that up? Yeah, I think for my first gift, I want to give a book that I read this summer. Um, it's by two theologians, um, Stanley Hauerwas and William Willimon, um, mm -hmm. and um, it's called Resident Aliens. And in some ways, it offers a maybe a perspective um, that you know kind of dovetails with what you recommended, Chris, and then maybe helps us see the the news that we read um, through an appropriate lens. Um, and I think I don't agree with everything, obviously, that Hauerwas and Willimon say in that book, but I think their perspective of thinking about who are we meant to be as followers of Christ, right? Um, we are meant to be people who are very different than the world around us. Um, we are people whose citizenship is elsewhere, and that should affect the way we engage. And I think you when know, we think about the the you know the toxicity of our times, the intensity of our times, right? Um, there is a a kind of peace that you find within that um, of saying, you know, not that we should disengage. That's not the argument at all. Um, but that we should engage differently. Um, and I think that's something that most of us as Christians could use a reminder of right now. Um, I think sometimes we're getting a little too overwrought about the, the battles of our times um, and are losing the perspective of what are we called to in Jesus Christ, which is called to be his ambassadors of reconciliation, um, of love, um, instead of um, called to um, sort of get down and get dirty <laughs> in the ways that everyone else around us is is fighting. So how do we become um, agents of that peace? I think Hauerwas and Willeman, again, you know, you probably won't agree with everything, but their perspective is a really useful kind of reset to a lot of the, the dominant ways of us thinking. It's a little bit older book now. It's came out in 89, um, but I think still a useful, useful way to think about the world. That's great. Nice, Andy. Uh, those those were very sort of high civically minded kinds of ideas uh, um, was, um, uh, between the between the local newspaper and between resident aliens. 
I'm going to bring it down a notch. Oh, um, I can't compete with that. So. Notch. <laughs> What's that? I said, please don't go up a notch. <laughs> no, 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 I'm going to bring it down a notch. I'm going to recommend um, a book by uh, Tom Nichols. Uh, Tom Nichols is one of my favorite voices uh, of the political right these days. He is um, teaches at the US Army War College, and he wrote a book a couple of years ago called The Death of Expertise. It came out before the pandemic, and yet it rings so, so true during the pandemic. It details the reasoning behind why Americans in particular, but Western societies more generally, have become much more skeptical of traditional experts and why expertise is undervalued, why people are questioning expertise, why people have come to believe that they themselves with their own intellects and their own Googling skills can match the quality and depth of knowledge of trained experts. And again, Nichols is a conservative here. He's arguing for a traditional sustained approach to, um, uh, to society. And so he's defending experts. And that would include medical experts in the face of a pandemic. That would include political experts in the face of questions about election validity. That would include media experts in the face of social criticism. And so um, I think this book is a really useful corrective for a society that's increasingly incredulous of truth being spoken around it. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, like, as you were talking about that, Chris, it just struck me like I was teaching last month in my comparative politics class on China. And it's just it's interesting, like this this tendency to want to, like, you know, basically throw experts under the bus for the sake of our ideological goals is not the preserve of one side or the other. Right. I mean, Correct. Um, we see the exact same thing going on in Mao's China in the 60s and 70s. I and mean, this is what that that cultural revolution was all about, right? Is saying, we, we don't want to listen to these experts because basically these people are challenging Mao and his pretty crazy ways of handling economy and society. Um, and so he, he demonized them. I mean, in some cases, you know, threw them in prison, killed them, all sorts of things, right? Um, you question the experts, right? And it's a, it's a really problematic tendency because it turns out we, we need experts. And we know this at certain points in our lives when we go in, mm -hmm. when we feel sick, right? We don't, for some reason, people don't seem to come into our offices and want medical advice, despite the doctor in front of all our names, right? Speak uh, for yourself. I've diagnosed a fair number of coughs this semester. <laughs> Dr. Moore runs a robust little side practice. Um, but, but for most of us, right? Like, you know, I, I might even know. describe it as virulent. <laughs> If they rely on you too heavily. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a doctor and they're like, yeah, dad, you're not that kind of doctor. Yeah. You are right, guys. child. <laughs> but, you know, I think it's, we know we need experts for some things. Um, but too often we, we, we then like, like to Google and, you know, set ourselves up as experts when in fact we're really not. So yeah. that's a useful gift. All right. Dr. Kukum, do you have a second pick? Uh, yeah, I'm going to stick with my news theme. So, so if you're wanting to, um, you know, uh, be especially generous um, and give a subscription to a local newspaper, right? But we also, you know, have that sort of, you know, kind of political person in your life. Um, give them a subscription to another news outlet, like a really high quality one um, that might be in keeping with their sort of ideological bent. Um, but which is going to still nonetheless provide be sort of intellectually honest and challenge them. So, so, you know, so if you have, you know, someone in your life who, you know, they're binge watching Fox news or, or MSNBC and CNN, right, whatever it is, um, 
you know, paying attention to sort of super lefty sites or super right wing sites, um, give them a subscription to sort of a center left or center right uh, publication that um, has real journalists um, who are consistently doing good work. Right. Um, and so, you know, for someone who is more on the the left, um, you know, left leaning, uh, the Atlantic is, is a fantastic a fantastic um, outlet uh, to subscribe to. I mean, for anyone, right? Um, or on the right, um, um, the Dispatch is is a new publication um, that has some really great stuff. So um, it's a way for people to sort of dip their toe into, um, you know, finding things that sort of might challenge their their, so their their own ideology and partisanship, but from within their own from within their own sort of. Um, from within their point of view, right? By by people who are still in some sense allies to their point of view, but who are nonetheless intellectually honest, yep. trying to grapple with serious questions, um, who aren't totally beholden to party politics, um, but do have some um, some ideological principles that they try to sort of firmly adhere to, right? So, yep. um, you know, so don't don't give the Fox News lover, you know, a New York Times subscription, for example. I mean, that's just too big of an ask. Give them a yeah. subscription to yeah. the Dispatch, for example, and you could, you know, same thing goes the other direction. So. That's my recommendation. That's great. Good. How do you, um, I? I want to second this rare journalistic art of finding uh, journalistic sources that hold to convicted principles. Um, if you can find those things on the right or the left, support them if you can. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And Andy, how about you? What's your next pick? I'm going to take it down a couple more notches from there. Um, and go to the Harry Real Potter. Housewives. Here we go. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> okay. In Harry Potter um, books, oh, okay. three, yeah. they have a – no, I'm not recommending Harry Potter. This is my setup. Um, although Harry Potter is great. Um, you should do that too. But uh, in Harry Potter book three, the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher is teaching Harry how to resist Dementors. And um, he says one of the keys is having chocolate on hand. Uh, because chocolate helps you fight the mentors. And in the, you know, in the many depressing things of our time, be it our political division or um, our, our pandemic news and the many sort of Greek letter variants that continue to um, assault us in one way or another, um, <laughs> the power of chocolate. Uh, having some chocolate in your, in your pantry and in the pantry of the one you love um, is good. Uh, you bring it out, you, take, you eat some of it, and you feel just a little bit better. Um, and it should be dark chocolate um, because it's better for your heart. And it just tastes doggone good. I'll second okay. that. All right. So <laughs> I'll bring it down a notch. <laughs> this is not my recommendation, but while <laughs> you're eating some of Professor Bramson's dark chocolate. And by the way, do you want to get specific here? Are you in a ride for a specific kind of dark chocolate? Are you, are you a Ghirardelli yeah. man? Are you, yeah. a, um, are you a lender? Like where, where, where are you at on this? I mean, look, I, I work for an institution of higher ed, and I have yes. four children. So yep. what this means is, among other things, I shop at Aldi. Uh, yeah. Aldi's dark chocolate is surprisingly good. Their European roots come through, um, and it is also has the, the tremendous virtue in my life situation of being affordable. Um, so that's what <laughs> I But honestly, I don't notice that big a difference. I'm not enough of a chocolate connoisseur. So I will just add the reason i ask this is i'm having my food politics class or part of them read a book for book club this semester called bread wine and chocolate it's by uh simron sethi and this book uh will will bring you down from your your sugar buzz from eating this dark chocolate because it it discusses how 
because of poor biological diversity management and also because of climate change, certain kinds of products like dark chocolate are increasingly at risk to being eliminated from our food uh, supply because of climate change. That the kind of places where you grow cacao beans are vanishing rapidly and because we're prizing things like productivity over taste, we're actually breeding ourselves out of um, essentially high quality chocolate. Mm. Um, and then the dementors win. That's depressing. Exactly. See you in Azkaban. All right. So for my next, um, my next pick, I, uh, I was between a couple here. This is an old standby. I almost positive I've recommended this book before, but I'm going to recommend mm. it again because if I'm really going to be sitting around uh, at Christmas time, talking with people who are part of my family whom I love, but who don't necessarily think like me, who maybe voted in ways that I find incomprehensible or um, they support policies that I find abhorrent or at least at odds with the kind of person I understand them to be. Um, it helps me to think about the work of Jonathan Haidt. Mm, yeah, and yeah. Jonathan Haidt wrote a very famous book back in 2012 called The Righteous Mind. And uh, that book details, and there's been a plenty of criticism of this book, by the way. So, um, I, you know, if you want to take a deep dive on the scholarship behind what Haidt is writing about, I would encourage it. But the overall findings, I think, are still sound. And what they essentially argue is there are a number, a limited number, but a number of moral logics that people subscribe to. And essentially the portfolio of moral logics that you subscribe to, the way you think through reasoning through moral problems, just is different yep. if you're liberal versus conservative. Yep. And in some ways, we don't get to pick and choose what moral logics we subscribe to. They pick and choose us. And so mm -hmm. it's not quite a genetic argument, but it's pretty darn close. And essentially argues that people end up being liberal or conservative based upon these sort of moral reasonings. And when it's not that one side is dumb and doesn't get it or the other side is cold hearted and doesn't get it. It's just that we're literally talking past each other. And so if I have a way of sort of systematically understanding, oh, this is how someone reasons when they don't reason like I do. Mm -hmm. Let's make their reasoning less valid. It means they're starting from different presuppositions. Right. And that's really helpful for carrying on a meaningful conversation with somebody. So The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt. All right. um, I'll, I'll give uh, I'll provide a nice pairing um, with that. Oh, I like that. Um, I like that. <laughs> maybe, maybe an appetizer, actually. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I might have mentioned this book before, um, but Mitch and I have both used it in our courses. It's How to Think by Alan Jacobs. Uh, who is a, um, a well-known professor uh, down at Baylor University, actually. It's super short. You can read it in a couple of relatively short sittings. Um, he references some other scholarship, including Jonathan Haidt, uh, interestingly enough, quite prominently. Um, ba but basically, it's just... It just talks about a lot of sort of the the problems that, that people, and, and by people means really all of us, sort of get ourselves into about and in, in how we think about um, our sort of political and social identity, right? So um, sort of the intolerance of people who are on the outside, um, the danger of sort of optimistic thinking, um, um, problems with sort of the sort of the knee-jerk reactions that we have to, to certain ideas um, instead of sort of slowing down to sort of think through them. Um, you know, all sorts of problems. He's building off of some of the scholarship that you might see with hate, for example, but it's, it's really short. It's really accessible. It's a way to sort of, um, 
if you're wanting to find a way to to sort of improve how you how you think about politics in society, this is a great way to sort of jumpstart that process. So How to Think by Alan Jacobs, super accessible, super readable, very smart, nice and short. Okay, Andy, do you have one more pick for us? Yeah, I'm gonna go in a little different direction, which is weird for me, because I'm not really an art person, but I have um, taught humanities now at Bethel for the last seven years, and um, had the privilege of sitting at the, the feet of Wayne Rusa in a number of humanities art lectures, um, who's a great uh, art history teacher here. And one of the, the paintings, um, there's really five paintings, it's a sort of series um, that Wayne would show our humanities students that really stuck with me. Um, is a series by an American painter, Thomas Cole, in the 19th century called The Course of Empire. And it's five paintings of the same place. Um, and what they show is kind of how it changes as humans interact with it. And so the first one is kind of the, you know, what it looks like without any humans there. The second is like sort of very minimal human involvement. Third is really built up. Fourth is we're at war and we're destroying the whole thing. And the fifth is kind of the aftermath. The humans are gone, but their footprint remains. Um, and it's one of those series that, you know, sort of sticks in my brain and haunts me about you know, what, what happens um, in the ways we engage with each other and with the world around us. Um, and as Christians, we believe, you know, that God has given us this world as a gift. Um, he entrusted creation to us as people um, right there in Genesis 1, right? He makes um, the man and woman stewards over creation um, to care for it and to care for it well. Um, and Cole's painting just makes me think, like, how are we doing that? Um, and so I think, you know, we have, we've, we've identified, identified a lot of arguments and ways we think about this. And I think those are useful to do. But there's something about art that grips us sometimes and gives us that, that visual of, like, not just what does this look like when we think through it in words, um, but what does it look like in a kind of very visual um, sense. So um, that's my, my gift. I would actually love to have that set. Um, obviously not the originals. Um, that would be good. <laughs> but... Uh, I would love to receive that, but I would also recommend giving it, um, at least looking at it. I like that very much. Thank you. All right, guys, this is bonus round. This is stocking stuffers. Andy's already <laughs> giving us chocolate, but I'm going to give him another shot at this. So um, rapid fire, no need to give a big justification. Anything else you'd love to see underneath the tree? All right, the mission, the movie. It's very, it's very beautiful Ooh. music, beautiful scenery. Um, and a haunting challenge to us as Christians and whether you're whatever side you end up on in terms of how you think about engaging, it's got something challenging to say to you. Um, and it's just very well constructed. Nice. It's fabulous. And if you're a sucker, very good. Very good. Sam's got, uh, the, the Sam just flashed on to show us his copy of the mission. Yeah. And then I'll just pair with that. Um, the soundtrack actually, um, We own uh, Morricone, um, Italian composer, just not just the the music is fabulous. It's worth oh. owning both the soundtrack and the movie itself. Yeah, yeah. There you have it, folks. Watch the mission. Listen to the soundtrack. Check out some of our uh, reading advice while you also peruse a little bit of uh, Dr. Bramson's Aldi chocolate collection. And um, <laughs> you know what? Let me just say, too, thanks for listening to us. Uh, it's been fun to keep this podcast going we've i think it's we've we have all been um invigorated by a little bit of the new format that we rolled out this this fall thanks for listening to us uh we are happy to pursue a variety of topics as we uh continue to look forward to the next uh the next coming year um we pray that your 2022 
uh, will be a year of, of healing and restoration, um, even in the midst of this ongoing season of divisiveness and pandemic. So thank you for listening to us. Um, and you can always check out everything else that's happening on our channel at Channel 3900. Reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you and what we can talk about, too, at electionshocktherapy at gmail.com. Until we're back in your podcast feed, thanks for listening. Merry Christmas and go Royals. <laughs>